Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today, so we're just going to get right to it. I'm going to dispense with any uh, introductory formalities. And uh, in First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18, we read, The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with the bow, and skillful in war, who went to war. Now, this is obviously expressing, in in particular, uh, the specific tribes that took their inheritance on the east side of Israel, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and then the half-tribe of Manasseh. And we're told that they have mighty warriors, men who are skilled in the art of warfare, and that number almost reaches 45,000. Well, as we continue, we're going to learn this. And verse 19, they made war with the Hagrites, with Yatur, Nafish, and Nodav, and they were helped against them. And the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, listen to this, for they cried out to God in battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. This is the formula for success. This is the formula for victory. The victory in our faith, when we are in the heat of battle, when it rages against us, when it's terrifying, when it's scary beyond belief, we do not retreat, we do not give up ground, but rather we push forward. And how do we push forward? How do we advance when there looks impossible, when the odds look impossible against us? This is how we advance. This is spiritual warfare. We get on our knees, we cry out to God, we put our trust in Him. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to win the battles in this age, in your life, the lust of the flesh, every morning you get up and your flesh is waging a war against you. You get up and you go about your way. If that weren't enough, you have demonic entities, demonic forces coming out to destroy you. Their sole purpose, because you take the name of Yeshua upon your lips, is to come and get you and take you out. That's the sole purpose. You want to win in this age, follow the formula. A formula that we find is being reverberated reverberated throughout Scripture. Over and over and over again. We see this is the principle we need to apply. Putting our trust in God, crying out to Him, going it's a prayer. I, I, you've heard me say it before, and I will say it again. The more, the deeper you get into relationship with Yeshua, the more you make Him the Lord of your life, the more you're going to war. The more you're going to come up to, in, into warfare. And I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to value prayer more than you ever have before. The closer I get to Yeshua, the more value I put on prayer. There is power in prayer. Do not let the adversary tell you different, as we already covered. They are not just words. When you cry out to the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who sacrificed and gave himself for you, there is power. Stand in that power. And as I would say, kneel in that power. Because God is willing to help you. Continuing on in verse 21, we read, Then they took away their livestock, and this is, this is the children of Israel. They took away the Hagrites' livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 of their sheep, 2,000 of their donkeys, 
also 100,000 of their men. Now think about that number because they didn't even number 45,000. And they're putting more than double the number to flight. That is powerful. For many fell dead. Ah, but why? Because the war was God's. This is why they had victory. I want you to put this together. Yes, we know. The principle to gain success in war. Yes, put your trust in Him. Yes, go to prayer. That is good. But there's an undertow, there's an underlying fundamental principle laying the groundwork that comes first. And that is this. The war must be God's. If it is God's war, now get this, if it is God's war, I ask you, can the war be lost? It cannot. The war cannot be lost if it is the Lord's battle. So let's follow this to its logical conclusion. If we, if we go out and fight the Lord's battles, what does it tell you? You cannot be defeated. This is what I was telling you the other week. You are invincible. You are indestructible. You can't be defeated. Because you're fighting for the Lord. You're fighting the Lord's battle. So what's the moral here? What do I want you to take away from this? If you're going to fight, you better make sure you're fighting the Lord's battles. This one principle will change your life. If you're going to fight, fight the Lord's battles. Think about David for a second. Why? Let me ask, why was David... So profound. Why has his fame spread to the four corners of the earth for being one of the mightiest warriors that had ever lived? One of the mightiest warriors that you will read about in the Bible is King David. Why is that? Well, it's interesting. Abigail tells us the reason why he was such a mighty warrior. Why he won one victory after another after another. He didn't lose. David didn't lose. He just kept fighting. Saul, he's slaying his thousands. David, his ten thousands. You think about his fame, but why? Well, Abigail, who is, just to give you a little background, Abigail, who at the time was the wife of Nabal. Nabal was a scoundrel, okay? When David needed help, he asked Nabal for help. Nabal rejected him. He did not help David. Abigail came on the scene, behind the scene, because David was going to slaughter his house. And she moved in wisdom. She recognized David. But look at what she says in 1 Samuel 25, verse 27. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Why? Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord. That is why he fought the battles of the Lord. Evil was not found in him throughout his days. I want to tell you something. I I, I think it's safe to say every one of you want to be great. You want to make your mark in this age. We should want to be like the men and the women that we read about in this book. Millions of people have read about. Their actions, their sacrifices. I'm going to tell you, every single person in this room can be that great. You have the potential. The question is, will you do it? Will you be willing to fight the Lord's battles? One of the primary reasons that 
believers that I've seen, including myself, and I put myself before any of you, one of the primary reasons we fall, one of the primary reasons we fail to gain victory and battle is because we are not fighting the battles of the Lord, but rather we're fighting battles of our own cause. Think about it. We're fighting battles for our own purpose, according to the dictates of our own heart. And when we do that, we fall into a trap, a snare of the wicked one, and we're set up for total destruction, total defeat. If we're going to talk about warfare, about warring in the spiritual realm, wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, we need to understand there's battles we are called to fight, and there are battles we are not called to fight. All right? I want to give you some examples today of what I'm talking about. And I, want to, I just want to share with you the dangers of going to a battle that you're not called to and the effects that that will have on your life. And, and the first example I want to give you is I want to take you back to the book of Numbers. This is a story we've already covered in this series. And I want to, I want to take another look at this story, but from a different angle. And just to reiterate the backdrop here, the children of Israel have been commanded to go spy out the land, and they send spies, 12 spies, Well, ten of the spies come back, as we know, and what do they do? They give a bad report. They strike fear and dread into the hearts of their brethren so that they don't do what? So that they don't go up into the land and take the land by war. See, this is the battle of the Lord. They were commanded to go do this battle. Well, because of this report, the children of Israel say, no, we we will not go up. They're stronger than we are. We cannot win this. We want to return back to Egypt. So at this point, Joshua and Caleb come on the scene, on the testimony of two, and they start sowing righteousness and trying to talk sense into their own brethren to tell them, go take up the land. And this is what they say. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And what? And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, this is a key component. When you go and fight the battles of the Lord, the Lord is with you. When the Lord is with you, you cannot lose. Imminent victory. It's coming. It is coming. You cannot be defeated when you fight his battles. And that is what Joshua and Caleb are telling their brethren. Very, very powerful concept. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Moving on to verse 10. All the congregation said uh, to stone them with stones. So how did they respond to their wisdom to try and encourage them to go do something God promised them and said he would be with them? They now want to stone Caleb and Joshua. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moshe, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I want to drop down to verse 22. Because of all these men uh, who have seen my glory, and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. What did the Lord just do here? He literally just declared a death sentence against this generation. 
they had been sentenced to death. They were to die in the wilderness. Their children would go into the land, but this generation has been sentenced to death. Well, how did the children of Israel respond to this? To this command that the Lord had given? Well, as we come to verse 39, we read, Then Moses told the words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Listen to this. Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. They changed their mind now. After the Lord gave them a death sentence and gave them the command, you will rot in the wilderness. They now changed their mind and they say, well, no, now we're going to go up and we're, we're ready to fight this battle. Well, look at how this unfolds in verse 41. And Moshe said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. Interesting. The Lord says, no, my command now rests upon you. You are to remain in the wilderness. And now what are the children of Israel doing? First he commands them, go up and take the land. They wouldn't do that. Now he commands them not to go up. And now they want to go up. But the problem is, as Moses warns them, you go and fight this fight. You go and fight this battle. The Lord is not coming. And neither is Moses. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Verse 44. But they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moshe departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Here is a perfect example of a battle that was not to be fought. This is a battle according to their own purpose, according to their own heart. You cannot win that battle. You will not win it. And when you fully appreciate this concept, this is a concept, as I mentioned, it will change your life forever. It'll change whether or not you walk in victory, the victory of the Lord. It will impact your military analytical skills. It'll impact your decisions on whether to proceed or not to proceed. Simply by asking the question, is the battle the Lord's? Or is this a battle of my own doing? Let me give you another example. And I think this example might hit home, a little bit closer to home for many of you simply because the person that we're dealing with is, in fact, King Josiah. And the reason I say it might hit home is Josiah was righteous. He was a righteous man of God. He loved the Lord. This is the guy that restored the temple. This is the guy that tore down all the high places that had been established by his fathers. He tore them all down. This is the guy that when he heard the Torah... When they found the scroll in the temple as he's restoring the temple and he heard the words of the Torah, his heart melted. He tore his clothes and he humbled himself before God. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say this in regard to Josiah. Just to put this into context. Chapter 34, verse 2 in Second Chronicles. And Josiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand 
or to the left. I want you to understand something about this statement that he walked in the ways of his father David. Do you know that there is no higher praise or accolade that a man could receive than that statement? This statement was reserved for very few kings that ever ascended to the throne. And yet this statement was made of Josiah. This is the kind of man that Josiah was, which makes what we are about to read so terrifying. Now, as we go to Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 20, we read the following. When Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, or Neho in the Hebrew, um, king of Egypt, came up to fight against uh, Karhamish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. Moving on to 21. But... Pharaoh sent messengers to Josiah saying, what have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come up against you this day, but against the house which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Now, let me be clear about something here. The God that is being mentioned here, that Pharaoh Necho is referencing it is none other than the God of Israel, okay? And this is something that is vitally important for you to pick up on. If you're going to appreciate the reality of this situation, that what's about to unfold, if you want to understand the context here, you need to get this nailed down. You need to understand what God are we talking about? Who is speaking here? Who is telling whom to do what? Now, a lot of people will say, well, Daniel, the term used there is Elohim. And at times, this is a Hebraic term that can be a very liberal usage and can refer to little gods as G. It is even referred to us in, in Psalm 82. And Yeshua quotes it in, in John chapter 10 of his own brethren. That they are Elohim. Did I not say you are gods? I want to be very clear. Nowhere in this passage or anywhere else can you construct that Pharaoh is coming to him in the name of Egyptian gods. If he was to do that, he would have come and say, I come to you in the name of Ra. He would not have used the terminology of Elohim. That would be from a Hebraic perspective coming out. But this is from the perspective of the king of Egypt. And the king of Egypt, if what he was saying was not the God of Israel, he said, I come to you in the name of God, or that more historically accurate, the goddess of war, Sekhmet, was the Egyptian goddess of war. This is who he said he would come in the name of. But he doesn't. He does not say he comes in her name. Let me further press the point because of how important it is to establish this context before we continue. If we go to the Apocrypha, we go to the Greek version of this story, there's actually a Greek rendering of the story of Josiah that we're reading right now in the book of First Estress. And I want to take you there and just establish this. In Estress chapter 1, verse 25, after all these acts of Josiah, it happened that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, went to make war at Karhamish on the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him, moving to 26. And the king of Egypt sent word to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judea? I was not sent against you by who? The Lord God. Now in the Greek it would be kurios theos. You translated that, go back to the Hebrew, it's Yehovah Elohim. And I show you this because there's no question about it. The construct of who the king of Egypt is coming and saying to Josiah, this righteous, God-fearing man, he's saying, listen, Josiah, I am coming to you in the name of Yehovah Elohim, the God of Israel, the God who created 
heaven and earth. This is the name that he is utilizing. For my war is at the Euphrates, and now the Lord, yud heh is with me. The Lord is with me, urging me on. Stand aside, do not oppose the Lord. Now, just to further put this on perspective, why, why is there even a conflict? Why is there a conflict between Josiah and the king of Egypt? Well, I'm going to put up a map here. If you'll notice, obviously Egypt's down here. Karhamish is all the way up here. And this is the Assyrian territory. Now, this is a modern map. I, I should have used a, a map more pertaining to the, that, that century. But be that as it may, Karhamish is up here. This was the Assyrian Empire. Egypt was called upon. They wanted to go assist Assyrians against the Babylonians. And the obvious way to go do that is you've got to go through the land of Israel. The direct route is to go through the land of Israel. So the king of Egypt, he takes his men. He's with men of war, obviously. He's going to make war with the Assyrians against Babylonians. And Josiah sees him traipsing through his land. And be the king, he's not going to have it. This is something that enrages him. So how does Josiah respond to Pharaoh's warning? Well, let's get back to 2 Chronicles chapter 35, verse 22. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but he disguised himself so that he might fight with him and did not heed the words of Neho from the mouth of God, the mouth of Elohim. And I, I just uh, emphasize this again, the construct of how this is. This is talking about the God of Israel. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So we find, I mean, despite this warning, Josiah goes to war. But ultimately, he goes to war alone. God's not with him in this battle because the battle wasn't the Lord's. And this is such a vital principle for you to pick up on. This battle was not the Lord's. This battle was not a battle that Josiah was commanded to fight. It's a product of his own heart. And this is a very scary thing to realize, to happen with such a righteous, God-fearing man. And this is where we need to step back and we need to take carefully consider how easy it is for us to fall into the snare and trap. We can never let down our guard because our adversary is not going to stop. Your flesh isn't going to stop nagging you to sin. The demons will try to come through different ways and manipulate you and whisper things into your ear and whisper things into your heart that you have no value, that nobody loves you, that you have no worth. All these crazy demonic activities that go on, you cannot let your guard down for a millisecond. Let me further put this story into context so you can feel the weight of this. There's another element to this story that exists that I want to bring to the table. If you read 2 Chronicles, if we go back to chapter 34, you'll find that there was a prophecy spoken over Josiah. Very, very important prophecy that was spoken over him by Huldah the prophetess. And this is what the prophecy said in verse 28. Surely I will gather you to your fathers. And listen to this. You shall be gathered to your grave in peace. I want to state something for the record, just to be clear. Hold of the prophetess, she was righteous. She spoke the words of the Lord. The prophecy that she prophesied over Josiah was 100% authentic. 
All of it. This is the prophecy that came to Josiah. Josiah, you will go to your grave in peace. It's the word of the living God. Your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Now, I just asked this question. How do you think that this prophecy might have affected Josiah's judgment? I mean, might have Josiah considered this prophecy in his pursuit against Pharaoh uh, Nietzsche? Could Josiah have reasoned within himself that nobody can stop me in this battle because I know something I have been prophesied over? I'm indestructible. I'm invincible. It doesn't matter what battle I fight because the Lord spoke to me and he said, I will go to the grave in peace. Think about the deception here for a second. Think about how monumental, how utterly perverse this deception is, how utterly wicked the heart can be, the depravity, the depths of it, how crafty our adversary can be. It is true. A prophecy was spoken to him. He was to come to his grave in peace. There's no question about it. But when you stop, when you stop walking in the will of God, even a half of degree, do not think for a moment that you will achieve that promise and that success. I caution you. Look at the children of Israel. Let's just look at another example here. The children of Israel. The Lord prophesied and said, I am bringing you to a land of milk and honey. He took them out of Egypt. And what happened? They died in the wilderness. An entire generation died in the wilderness. They were prophesied over. God is a God of promise. God does not lie. And yet they never entered the land. Why? They were fighting battles. They were never called to fight. And they didn't fight the battles. They were called to fight. This is scary to me. This story, when I read, I can tell you this, the first thing, it dropped me to my knees. It's just one of those stories that dropped me to my knees and the fear of God going, oh my goodness, I am detached from reality. I am so far from the kingdom. When you start seeing stuff like this and start seeing how crafty the adversary is and how quickly he can kill you, how quickly he can take you out. Well, let's take a peek at how this all turned out. Going to Second Chronicles 35, verse 23. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants, therefore, took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem. So he died. Don't call this going to the grave in peace. He did not go to the grave in peace. He died in battle. A battle he was never called to go and fight. Yes, the prophecy was true. It was authentic. That's the will for his life. It kind of reminds you of a, a passage in Ecclesiastes in, in chapter 7. It talks about, do not be overly foolish, lest you die before your time. Interesting passage. It indicates that, yes, we're all marked out. We know God has established so many days for us. But do you know you can cut those days short by your foolishness? You can cut your time that the Lord has allotted you on this land, in this earth, in this life. You can cut it short. I caution you, tread carefully. Walk in humility. Walk in the fear of God. Take this story and let it sink down into your heart. I want to share just 
This passage we just read, I want to share a fragment going to the Greek version in First Estrus. And I want to read something to you. Josiah, however, did not turn back his chariot, but tried to fight with them, with him, meaning Pharaoh, and did not heed the words of the prophet Jeremiah from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Jeremiah did not heed. There's no question that what Nietzsche was speaking. And I always call it into question. When you have a pagan king coming out saying the Lord has said to me, well, you know what? I'm going to vet it out. Because at first, at the first glance, at first blush, I won't believe you. But here even Jeremiah were told from the Greek version, the way the first century Jews, and, and centuries before that, the way the Jewish people understood what happened in this story is that Jeremiah didn't even listen to the words of Jeremiah the prophet, who we know is speaking according to the words of the Lord. Again, this, this is a story that makes me tremble with fear. And, and what is so terrifying is all it takes in our life is a momentary lapse of judgment. And Satan gots us. That's how careful we have to walk. Isn't it amazing? What you, you read in Deuteronomy, uh, you get into Deuteronomy 30 and 31, and, and it's, it gets into the, the Feast of Sukkot. And every seven years, we know we're, we're called to go up. We're called to go. Men, women, children, all of them are called to go up to the festival of Sukkot to do something, to hear the Torah, that they might fear the living God. You go and read that and you say, man, that's incredible. When we read these stories, it strikes fear into our heart, a godly fear, so that we do not come off this razor blade of a path. It's like we're walking on a razor's edge. We, we, we cannot falter. It's so easy to falter either way. We need the fear of the Lord. Take these stories seriously. The fight that we are called to fight. And I just want to say this before I get into our last story here. We are called to fight battles. There are battles that the Lord sets in front of us that we are called to fight. And I just want to list out a couple of them so that you know what it is that we are called to do. We are called to fight against unbelief. We are called to fight against idolatry, covetousness, hatred, bitterness, strife, unforgiveness, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and I could go on. In other words, every time your flesh is telling you to disobey God, or man is telling you to disobey God, you do not listen. This is the battle you've called to fight. Called against your flesh. War this battle. Fight against unbelief. Fight against pornography. Pornography, fight against adultery, fight against covetousness, fight against idolatry. I want to share this principle, put this together. As you're going through these temptations, as you're fighting, as you feel weak, you feel that there's no hope, that you don't have any strength, remember something. When you go and fight the battles of the Lord, He is with you. That's, think about that. It's the most empowering concept that we can have. When we go to fight against these things, remind yourself of the truth. Yeshua is with you. You will gain victory. What Satan wants to tell you is you can't win. The flesh is too strong. Just give in. The temptation's too great. There's too much to gain. And Satan and the demonic entities are whispering into your ears and whispering into your hearts. Push them out. 
and remind him, I can do this. I can do all things through Messiah Yeshua who strengthens me. Start quoting scripture when you're in the midst of warfare and you're suffering and you're in feel you're in total it's a hellacious scenario start quoting scripture start quoting the truth start pushing back the adversary who's who's just destroying believers all over this country i'm i'm mesmerized by what is happening right now take captive every thought to the obedience of yeshua this is spiritual warfare This is warfare. This is the battle we are called to fight. It's a battle we can't lose, but people are walking away from the battle. I want to share one more story with you. And this last story is pretty powerful. Um, It's just another story to show us we're not called to fight every battle, even when it appears to be right. this This is how careful we have to be. And I'll just give you a little backdrop to this, but we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. And in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord raises up Jeremiah to be a prophet. He raises up other prophets as well to go out and tell the people, the Jewish people, listen, judgment is coming. Destruction is coming to Jerusalem. I'm going to bring it down by the king of Babylon. This is the message that Josiah, or that Jeremiah was to go out and preach. And Uriah went out and preached. Going to Jeremiah 27, 12. And pay very close attention as we go through this. I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Here... God gives a warning to his people through the prophet Jeremiah that they, you better put your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon or die. You understand? In other words, what is the Lord saying here? He is saying, surrender to Babylon. Give up your lands. Give up your inheritance, your possession, your independence, your freedom. Give it up. Now, let me be very clear. Nowhere will you find in the story, and I challenge you to go read it, nowhere will you find in the story the Lord commanding the children of Israel, the Jewish people, in the land of Judea, commanding them to go and start serving the the gods of the Chaldeans. Nowhere will you find that, oh, start embracing Israel. I command you to go embrace the abomination of this pagan nation. Nowhere you will find it. It doesn't exist. Make a distinction. Be very careful how you read this passage. What he is saying is the land, your possession, everything you have that is yours, that you've been eating the fat of land, it's gone. You need to walk away. Walk away from it all. With that said, as we come to Jeremiah 21, chapter 21, the Lord is going to lay out some terms here. So I just want to go back a couple chapters. You shall say to the people, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Isn't that just like the Lord? I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Well, what is this life and what is this death? The the Lord goes to lay out these terms. Clarify in verse 9. He who remains in the city shall die, meaning Yerushalayim. 
by the sword, by the famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects, now that word in the Hebrew is nafal, it means to fall, to surrender to. All right? It means to surrender to the Chaldeans. Who besiege you? He shall live, and his life shall be as a prize to him. For I have set my face against this city for adversity, not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Now, you need to appreciate what is really being said here in a historical context. You need to take it back. If you want to feel the weight of what is going on, you need to understand how the Jewish people would have received this message and what this would have done to them. You need to remember that the Lord himself, is he is the one who brought the Jewish people into the land to begin with. By promise, he brought them in to the promised land. The Jews were eating and drinking of the fat of the land. They were going up to the temple. They were dwelling in their own houses of their own inheritance. They were dwelling with total independence and total freedom. Okay? Cherishing their land, cherishing their independence. But then all of a sudden, with that in mind, then all of a sudden you have this guy, Jeremiah, he comes on the scene telling them that... uh, uh, You need to give it all up. Everything you have here, walk away. And not just walk away or give it to your brother or your cousin. Let them have it. None of that happened. It it, it gets so crazy. He's saying, not only walk away, you're giving it to total pagans. Total heathen nations. You're giving it to your enemies. Now try to appreciate the context of a man, Jeremiah, running around saying these words. Can you imagine how insane he would have sounded to his own brethren? I mean, they wanted to kill him. Go back and read Jeremiah 26. They wanted to kill Jeremiah. How dare you speak against this temple? It was blasphemous. How dare you speak against our people? What they didn't realize is that Jeremiah, he spoke according to the word of the Lord. To them, he was a traitor. To them, he was what we would call today unpatriotic, right? I mean, with a man running around like that, who needs enemies? And, and you know, you look at their, where they would be at and what they would expect a prophet to come and say. It was a prophet to come speak life into them, to speak encouragement, reminding them, hey, the Lord gave us this land. Don't forget that. The land, do not ever give it up. Stand and fight. What these men failed to realize is that these were not the words of Jeremiah. And this is what's so terrifying, you guys. The more you read scripture, the scarier it gets. Realize how far away from the Lord you are in your thought process. They did not realize that he spoke according to the word of the Lord. Well, knowing the complexities and the sensitivity of the situation, the Lord understanding this, The Lord goes on to warn the Jewish people with the following. Jeremiah chapter 27 verse 14. Therefore do not listen to the words of the prophets who speak to you saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Do not listen to them. You know, one thing you need to realize is that, I'm going to tell you right now, it's times like this. Okay? Times when the Lord is about to bring judgment upon the land. This is when 
the false prophets start coming out of the woodwork. It's like a signal for them to start coming out of every hole and orifice in the land. They start coming out. As soon as the Lord is about to bring judgment, false prophets are on the scene, wreaking havoc on the people. It's easy for them to speak. It's easy for false prophets to speak. And let me tell you the little secret as to why. Because they always appeal to the flesh, to the dictates of the heart. Because man, it's easy. Tell people what they want to hear. Because they want to hear it. It's easy to get them to believe you, to get them on your side. You know, this is why, I mean, the, the marketer, marketing firms have figured this out. This is why they can come out with a new diet gimmick every other week and sell millions. Even you could sell placebos, it would still sell millions. Why? I'm telling somebody they're going to lose 100 pounds in three weeks. And this, we all want to hear that, you know, or at least most of us do, you know. A portion of it, we want to lose this. So we're just going to buy this. You can sell it. It sells. Telling people what they want to hear sells. Think about the lottery. I mean, these are for people who are mathematically challenged, who understand nothing about odds, right? The odds are against you. You're going to lose. Can I have two more? Who, who thinks like that? But the sale is tell them what they want to you're going to be able, you're going to be rich beyond measure. You're going to be able to fulfill all those covetous desires your heart has ever had. It's the sale. So this is, you got you to understand when people are coming up and telling you things you want to hear, it's easy to accept it. False prophets always operate in that measurement. Always. Well, how do you think it went down for those who rebelled against Babylon? Even after the, the king, and I mean the king of Israel, after the Lord's warning, how do you think it went down? It went down pretty horrible. In fact, one story is Zedekiah, the king of Judah at the time, he rebelled against the king of Babylon. He did not heed the word of the Lord. You know what he did? You know what the king of Babylon did? He came, he slaughtered his children in front of his eyes, and he ripped out his eyes. The last thing he got to see was his children dying. That's what happened. The Lord warned him. The Lord warned him. You will die by the sword. If you do not put your neck under the king of Babylon, you will die horrible deaths. And that's what happened. And so we look at this principle. Put this into context. Feel the weight of it. You're going to fight. You better make sure you are fighting the battles of the Lord. Do not get involved fighting battles. You are not called to fight. You cannot win playing the lottery it's stupidity don't do it you know again I, I i read i read this story in jeremiah and i'm going to share this with you first time i read this story was it was many years ago it was probably about and i mean really studied it I, i've read it before but where actually the lord revealed something to me was probably close to 10 years ago and when I read the story, you guys, I'm going to tell you, it's just like, and, you, and I know every one of you can agree, you're, you're going through the scripture and all of a sudden the Lord shows you something beyond marvelous. And you sit back and you marvel and go, only the Holy Spirit can come down and, and, and to start to do this. When I read this story, it, it was on many levels for me, it was life changing. In fact, I can let you in on a little secret. One of the, one of the thrusts behind Death of America there was, there was a passage that I got out of Ezekiel that was really prominent. But there was another passage 
that was pushing behind it that I never mentioned in the death of America. And it is this story. It's this story found in Jeremiah. When I read this story, something was revealed to me. I saw something that I had never seen before. Something eerie. And that is this. When I read this story, I saw this story living out. The story came to life to me. I saw that this is the very thing happening to you, to the United States of America. This very scenario. And let me explain what I mean. America, like Judah, was a blessed nation. Blessed by God. Churches thrived. Morality at one time was the expectation. The Bible was the code of conduct. Revered by men and women alike. Even in government positions. School teachers. You know, righteous permeated the very pores of the fabric of our society. It did. Biblical principles woven throughout the tapestry of our society. There was once a time when teachers were leading the kids in prayer in public schools, not private schools, public schools. There was once a time when abortion was actually considered an atrocity, not a right, not a government-protected right. There was once a time that adultery was actually the exception, not the rule. But like Judah, America, this country, has turned from the ways of the living God and we have embraced abominations. We have built high places everywhere. The high places have come into the church. It's interesting, at the time when God brought Babylon in, they had defiled the temple. They had defiled the temple. We have defiled our temples here. We have brought sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality into the church, promoting it from the heart of the church. It's unbelievable. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you what Jeremiah told his brethren. Judgment is coming. And if you had eyes to see and ears to hear, you would already know it's already unfolding. It's already unfolding. Fear has gripped the hearts of these people. We got people buying land. We got people that are digging holes in the ground, bunkers all over this country. It's fascinating. Do you know what the number one issue in this presidential debate and the, the campaign that they're that they're going to be talking about and I'm reading article after article about it it's immigration you know that it's immigration why does that fascinate me i'll tell you why that fascinates me when the lord brought judgment against israel read deuteronomy 28 do you know what one of the things that it said it would do would happen that his judgment would impose he would take the foreigner and the alien and he would rise them higher and higher upon the inhabitants the very thing, the very structure of judgment is unfolding in this nation right now. You cannot even see it. It's happening right in front of our eyes. The things that are in the front pages of our newspapers go to the Torah and weep. They're unfolding right before our eyes. It's interesting. I threw this in at the last second. I got an email from Dr. Michael Evans. It wasn't a personal email. This was just a mass email. He sends these things out. And this is what he says, because we're at this moment of judgment. And here's where I'm going with, we're at this moment of judgment. What can we expect? We can expect false prophets to be running amok, just as in the story of Jeremiah, going out deceiving the people. 
Listen to what he says here. It's just fascinating. Where are those who weep for America, who grieve for her sins of arrogance? Millions of professing Christians have closed their eyes to what is happening. Many preachers are even telling jokes in the pulpit and mocking those who are weeping over the impending judgment. It's true. I've actually heard them on the radio. This is not a joke. When he said this, it resonated with me. Because there are pastors and teachers and preachers out there who are saying, oh, it's ridiculous. We're a nation of God. We do not have to worry about judgment. And they say it with fervent passion. So it must be true. They're out there telling them, we will not experience judgment. There's too many righteous men of God. Jeremiah was righteous. (laughs) Daniel was righteous. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were righteous. There were many righteous men carried off into Babylon. Far more righteous than we have here. You think about it. You know, instead of having people fast and pray, we have people stocking up on food. We have people stocking up on weapons. Think about what's going on here. Think about how we are rationalizing what we know is coming. In fact, there was an article, and, and I'm put it up here, just a just one a small little blip of it. Um, 2015 was called the year of the gun. The FBI processed a record number of firearms-related background checks last year, indicating that more guns were sold in 2015 than in any previous year in American history. You go to 2014, we broke records. You go to 2013, we broke records. 2012 broke records. What is this telling you? I mean, go back to Israel, go back to Judah, to, to Jerusalem. And the days when judgment was upon them, when they were warned, Babylon's coming, put your necks under the yoke, you're going to die. What did they start to do? They kicked in their heels and they armed themselves. And I'm telling you right now, Americans are arming themselves. Why? Because they're ready, getting ready to go to war. They're getting ready to go to war. And it's interesting, the government equally is buying ammunition off the charts. We've got the postal servants buying bullets. Someone needs to explain to me why the United States Postal Service needs bullets. Are there that many dogs? I mean, think about this. Here's a very, very important lesson for us today. This is a point you need to go home and you need to ponder. Because what happened with Jeremiah, what happened with the Jewish people at the time and bringing Babylon in and bringing them under judgment... The eerie similarity is unfolding right before our eyes today. There is going to be war in this country. There's no question about that to me. What I'm going to pose to you is, is that a fight you are called to fight? Is that the Lord's battle? We're going to end here. I want everyone to rise. We're going to say the battle cry, which we need more than ever. Hero Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, it is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Today we will go to war. We will not fear. We will not faint. We will not give in to the flesh. And we will not give in to our enemies. Today we will stand and we will fight. We will conquer through the might of our Lord Yeshua. 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The worship team can come up. We're going to pray. Abba, Father, we just come to you in the mighty name of Yeshua. We know we are living in in the end times. And we know judgment is imminent, imminent in this nation. And we see your hand moving, Lord. And we see the wicked rising up like grass among us. That they might be brought low. And Lord Yeshua, we pray now more than ever. With every single day that goes by, we need your spirit and outpouring upon us. We need your wisdom. Protect us from false prophets, from false teachers, from false preachers. Protect us from ourselves, from the dictates of our hearts, from the fleshly desires, Lord. Separate us, sanctify us, Lord, by your grace, by your blood, by your truth. Sanctify us, set us apart, Lord. May we humble ourselves before you with weeping and with fasting, Lord. More than ever, we need your power, the power of your spirit to move. Tomorrow night's event, Lord, we pray for that right now. We pray that this is a time of preparation of hearts, of humbling ourselves before the living God so that he can lift us up, Lord. It's you and you alone. Where we can be restored, where bondages can be broken, where marriages can be restored, where our focus can be redirected to you, Lord, purging out the wickedness and all this filth and distractions that the world uh, puts in front of us. The people that are struggling right now, Lord, with whatever sin, Lord, we come to it in the name of Yeshua, Lord. I pray that you move into the hearts and you convict the people of their sin. Let them mourn and feel the weight of that conviction, Lord, that they might be saved. We just pray all these things in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.